text comes to us from John's Gospel, John chapter 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our, prophet, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Now, this is such a long text, I debated just saying amen <laughs> and continuing on with the service. But Jesus gave me something special to say. This week, we focus on the way of the cross leading us into this Samaritan area. And Jesus loves the outcasts. Now, one of my favorite aspects about John's gospel is that he gives us a window to peer into Jesus' life in his ministry, how he gathers around him all of these different types of people from all walks of life. And once they interact with him, they are forever transformed. 
Jesus longs to do that with you today. Right now, the way of the cross leads us this morning through the hostile territory of Samaria. Now, a little bit of geography lesson. Judea and Jerusalem are in the south part of the countries, and and Galilee is in the northern part, but right in the middle is Samaria. Right in the middle. Now, at one point in time, the Assyrians, around 700 B.C., The Assyrians captured Samaria and took with them many of the prominent Jews, leaving just a few straggler Jews behind. And then they they moved in and they intermarried and they they became mixed with their religion and all kinds of pieces were coming together. And so they were viewed by the Jews as religious half-breeds. A little bit more background, further in history, this was the place where Jacob first saw his future wife Rebecca, and he rolled the stone of the well away and allowed Rebecca's flock to water. Now, after this exile in, from Assyria, the Jews returned back to their home country with great animosity towards those who had remained and intermarried and intermingled. They viewed the Samaritan as, as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted. Now, about 400 B.C., Before Jesus, the Samaritans erected a rival temple on Mount Gerizim in that area, as opposed to the temple in Jerusalem. And this angered those in Judea, and so in in about 2nd century before Jesus, the Judeans came up from the south into Samaria and destroyed that temple. But the Samaritans still continued to worship on that temple, in that temple site. So there's all this animosity now between Judea and Samaria, which is really unfortunate because if you were in Jerusalem and you wanted to travel to Galilee, you could shave a whole lot of time off your trip by going straight through Samaria. But it was not always advisable to do so. But Jesus, well, he loves everybody. He loves the outcasts, and he knows that he has got this appointment with this woman who has no idea yet. Now, again, to contrast this woman from Nicodemus, he was the pious male Jewish church worker with all his ducks in a row, and this woman at the well could not be more his opposite. She is the outcast. Now, there are obvious outcasts among us, those who are socially awkward or the people who don't fit in or or perhaps disagree with our our very traditional and conservative theology, or those who live lives that are completely, obviously, visibly steeped in sin. But there are some outcasts that kind of fly under the radar. Some in this room today. Those who are overwhelmed by shame and and attend church, but, but hear the words of the absolution and believe that it's for everybody except for them or those who sit with their believing spouse, but they themselves have withdrawn away from God, or those burdened with a hidden sin that they're not yet willing to part with. Here's the good news, though. Whether you're a Nicodemus type of person or a woman at the well type of person, Jesus interacts with them both. And if you think about it, all of us fit somewhere on that spectrum between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Maybe you find yourself more on the Nicodemus side or more on the woman of the well side, but all of us, every single one of us, are somewhere in between. And Jesus loves us all. 
And so we have a, a learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained, and on the other hand, you have a woman, a Samaritan, and a moral outcast. Both need Jesus, and Jesus loves both and everything in between. Now, when Jesus loves the outcasts, he begins to cast out shame. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Thirst is this metaphor for a longing, for a desire. And Jesus in the, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 teaches that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And yet us in our broken humanity, we often hunger and thirst for things of this world instead. And we pursue them. And every time we do, we find out that in the end, those worldly things that we hunger and thirst for end up leaving us even hungrier and even more thirsty. But Jesus, the living water, who pours himself into us, refreshes us, and slacks our thirst like no one else can. The satisfaction of our thirst, the satisfaction of our salvation is made in full. He is enough. And, and when I say Jesus is enough, I don't mean that like he is just barely enough. He is enough, more than you need. He wells up inside you, fills you to the point where it's brimming and then overflowing. Like David in the psalm said, my cup overflows. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And I think she's still thinking very literally, not being fully aware of the gift that's being offered to her today. Do you see... Having to come to the well was an everyday reminder of her failings. She comes in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, so she's not there when everybody else is to make fun of her, to leer, to jeer. Now she thought that her greatest need was to be able to avoid her shame by not having to go to the well. But Jesus knew that her greatest need was to have her shame cast out so that she could go to the well anytime she pleased without fear. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now at this point in time, the guilt is just rising in her throat. She has no husband. If if only you knew, Jesus, you would withdraw your offer because it, it's too good to be true. And, and certainly her marital past and her extramarital present will exclude her from Jesus' offer of living water. And Jesus, who's been leading this whole conversation this entire time, is getting her right where he wants her to bring her to the bottom of herself. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. At this point, the dread in her throat gives way to shame, total humiliation. He knows. He probably knows even more than he's already revealed. What if he knows everything? And Jesus indeed knows it all. 
He knows what we've done. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And that's terrifying. And it should exclude us from the grace that he wants to give us. Jesus should flee from us in our sinfulness. But he stays. He reaches out. He has compassion to cause his living water to find a spring in our hearts and well up. He did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. And the woman makes this bold confession. She said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. It's amazing to me that this woman, this Samaritan, has a knowledge of the Messiah. You see, the Samaritans, they just studied the first five books of the Bible. They dismissed the rest of those Jewish writings as not being valid. And yet she clings to a faith of a Messiah. A Messiah, which means the anointed one sent for a specific purpose to save the world. And here's the setup. She just told Jesus that the Messiah will tell her everything. And Jesus has already told her everything about her life. And stays. And he's about ready to put into peace that final piece that makes the whole picture come into focus. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And everything clicks into place. The truth dawns on her and she is flooded with this pure and holy joy. Shame melts away in the face of that joy. Now when Jesus loves the outcast and he casts out shame, Two things happen in that person's life that we see in this text today. The first thing that happens is that they begin to worship in truth and in spirit. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. All right, messenger of God, prophet of God, clear this issue up for me. Now, for a brief moment in time, I was a, a realtor, sold, sold homes, and, and Century 21 taught me this very real truth that there are three critically important pieces to real estate location 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 because you can change so many things about your house but unless you live in an rv or a trailer you cannot change where you live location is incredibly important all right jesus let me know from your mouth messenger from god which is the right place to worship And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, for the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. So here's what that means for us. Where, Jesus, is the right place to worship? The sanctuary or Founders Hall, a brightly lit room or a dark room with bright lights? It's just an oxymoron, I realize, but still. And Jesus says to this woman, you're asking the wrong question. But there'll be a time when you don't worship on Mount Gerizim and nobody will worship in Jerusalem but they'll worship on Mount Calvary instead. You see, anybody who worships the Jesus who suffered and died on Calvary and rose again on the third day, whoever does that worships the Father in heaven. And you can do that wherever you are, everywhere and anywhere. No one owns the rights to the right location to worship. But the hour is coming, he says, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Our purpose at our very core, the reason God made us, was to glorify him. And we glorify him when we worship in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in truth is somewhat easy to explain. 
It's worshiping the true God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and not some other idols. And we, we have this great ability to create all kinds of idols that we pursue to our own detriment. And God calls us back lovingly each time in repentance to make him our number one. Worshiping in truth means that we hold the three ecumenical creeds to be fundamentally true as they explain our understanding of the word of God. But worshiping in spirit, that's a little bit more difficult. It's easy to say what the opposite of worshiping in spirit is. Worshiping, the opposite of worshiping in spirit is just going through the motions. It's just speaking the words of the Lord's Prayer without even thinking about what they are, about confessing the creed without remembering what it is that you believe. And so to worship in spirit means that you acknowledge that you are in the presence of God, gathered together with other people who acknowledge the presence of God. That you understand his presence to be powerful, compassionate, and merciful, and transforming. That the the words of the sermon penetrate you. The the music stirs your soul. The prayer becomes this intimate, one-on-one connection with the Father. And the sacraments, that's the food that fuels our Christian faith and grows us into men and women who pursue God. that's the first thing we worship in spirit and in truth the second thing that somebody an outcast who's been loved by god and has shame cast out worships in spirit and truth and secondly becomes a spring of living water so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people come see a man who told me all that i ever did can this be the christ and this is my favorite part of the text because here's what she doesn't do jesus tell me more I want to hear all about it. Tell me about your kingdom. Tell me about your love. Tell me about your plan. I want to know more. Instead, she sits her water jar down and she rushes into town because she cannot not talk about Jesus. She has to tell the people in town, the people who have made fun of her for years, that Jesus has come. It's exactly what the shepherds did on that night when Jesus was born. The, The angels announced to them that the Christ was born and they rushed off to see Jesus. And once they did, they didn't stay. They were so overwhelmed, they became springs of living water that they had to water the rest of Bethlehem. And they went out and they told everybody that they saw what had happened that night. And the town responded. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, and many more believed because of his word. See, there is enormous power in the word of God. The spirit promises to work faith through that word and he never returns void. I want you to remember Jesus loves the outcasts. Jesus casts out shame. And when he does that we are able to worship him in spirit and in truth and we become springs of living water. May you flow out into this community this week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for for who you are and what you do in our lives. Thank you for being a God who meets us right where we are, whether we're a Pharisee or that woman at the well. You love us all equally. We need you, and you have come to save us. 
Let us be filled with your Holy Spirit to be a spring of living water that impacts everyone that we see today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.